John 6, and we are in verses 22 through 27. John 6, 22 through 27. And this, just to set the, uh, set the uh, text uh, where it's at, Jesus the day before had turned uh, the, the little boy's lunch, the loaves and fishes, and fed the 5,000. Then that night, the disciples went to sail across the sea where they would meet Jesus. He was off praying. He calmed the waters. That's where we were last week and calmed the storm. And they got to the other side. And that's where we pick up uh, the, the story. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. And God's word says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And that's the text this morning. Please be seated and let's pray and ask God to help us understand it. We thank you, God, for your word. Please help us as we interact with it. We do uh, believe and, and, and know that... Uh, you are a triune God, your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray for your Holy Spirit's help now as we interact with your sacred word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just by way of introduction, where do we stand with Scripture? How do we approach Scripture when we read it? Is it like a fairy tale story like our parents used to read to us or like we read to our kids? Uh, kind of a myth? Is it Paul Bunyan or Pecos Bill or whatever those myth stories are? People say, well, I can't even... Uh, Jesus, that was so long ago. How can it be true, these stories? Uh, and all of this, people have memories of things, but they distorted the real Jesus. And we need to find that historical Jesus. Well, listen, do we understand that these Gospels were written, and that New Testament was written, um, some of them as early as A.D. 40. Um, some people uh, believe, just looking at the text and around, it was completed. The canon closed by A.D. 70. We're not talking 300 years later and handed down myths. Uh, these are people who were there. I know what I was doing 40 years ago. I know what I was doing 30 and 20 and 10. We remember. And these people even take, take away what we know to be true, that God breathed out the scriptures, that, that these are words that we say inspired by God. Take away that 
truth of that, even just the record of things. Um, you sit down with somebody who um, 10 years ago was there at 9-11 uh, at in the city. They remember. You take away. I know what I was doing running around. I know exactly where I was when the space shuttle uh, blew up. I can remember there in Pensacola, I was a Frito Bandito off my little Frito-Lay truck. I was at a Magic Market convenience store. And, uh, and there was this titillating, everybody's talking about it. And all the vendors, it's like the Coke guy, the Pepsi guy, the, the potato chip guy are all racing to stores to find somebody who doesn't know so we could be the ones to tell. Uh, we know what it was like that night watching that speech that, that Ronald Reagan gave and addressed the nation. We know these things, and we have a, a memory, and it's not distorted. And as these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote down the scriptures, even take, like I'm saying, just for the moment, even just say there's no such thing as inspiration, which there is. Uh, they were there. They were eyewitnesses, and they didn't distort the whole record of Jesus and get together and collaborate. They wrote it as, as, as they as they saw it, as it happened. And so when we come to these stories in the Bible, um, I'm loath to even call them stories because I don't want us to think they're like legendary folk stories. As we come to these incidents in the Bible, we approach these as being absolutely true as they present themselves. And we have scriptures that have been handed down and written and copied, and we compare thousands and thousands of, of texts and, and uh, a little kid throws a stone into a cave and jars shatter. He goes in and finds what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls and they discover this and they find that and all of them are true and they correspond with each other. So when we read and, and, and preach and think and pray through the Bible, currently where we're at in John, we're saying, this, this happened. It's God's word. It's the truth. And then we say, what does that mean for us? Why did God preserve this for us? What's there? And then as we say, what's in it for, for me as, a, as an individual? What lessons are there? What encouragement? What admonition? What's going on for me as a person? And if we're part of a church, we say, what's the word for our church? How does this apply to Christ the Shepherd Church uh, in this point in time where we're at? I've been listening to a lot of um, sermons lately. I got in touch. It's a, it's, it's a short story, but it's too long for the sermon. But I'm listening to uh, some sermons that J.I. Packer preached down in Pensacola at something called the Pensacola Theological Institute. And uh, the very sermons back in 1990 that I went home to Paula and said, okay, don't want to alarm you, but I feel God's tugging my heart to go to seminary. And uh, it's not going to be tomorrow, but be thinking about that in those terms. But he preached several sermons on the Word of God and saying, if you're a Christian, since you're a Christian, uh, and Jesus is, is the one to whom you've uh, put your faith in. And all of a sudden, uh, your life has changed. If you're a Christian, 
don't you want to read his word? Don't you want to find uh, guidance? And he's speaking a lot about guidance. And we go, what do I do with my life? What am I supposed to do? He's saying the principles are there in scripture. Anchor yourself to God's word. Um, and that's what we're doing. So we're coming here and we're finding this little section today. And we're seeing these people and Jesus is basically, uh, we've used this phrase, you heard this phrase, you either work hard or you work smart. And uh, I'm going to say work smart. Um, Jesus says in this text, why are you working so hard for things that don't even last? I'll tell you how to work. Work smart. Four things about Jesus this morning. One, the knowledge of us that Jesus possesses. Two, what Jesus forbids us to do. Three, what Jesus tells us to do. And finally, what Jesus promises to us. So first of all, understand the knowledge of us that Jesus possesses. I'm going to be preaching at the Calvary Chapel Church tonight. Last time I had the privilege of preaching to him, I said, I know something about each and every one of you. <laughs> like, ooh, what do you know about us? Uh, I said, I know that you guys, ladies, are sinners. And I bet if you think about it, you can know that about me too. We know that about each other. Even as we put on a good front and, and boy, we don't want to sit around and, and it's not necessarily appropriate for just telling each other our deep, dark secrets and all that stuff, but we can know our condition. We know our condition. These people came to Jesus. They were uh, looking for him. Uh, they had had a wonderful meal that he'd made for them. All those bread and fish, they were hungry, and they ate their fill, it said. And I bet that was a good lunch. And they were watching, where's Jesus going to go? And they noticed, the text says, they noticed he didn't get into that boat. That boat went here. So they're, they're not going to follow the disciples so much. They're going to find out where Jesus is, and Jesus exposes them. They are Jesus' followers for their next meal. What can I get out of it? temporarily or, or just in the meantime. That was pretty good. I bet I could follow him around, and if he's going to treat us like that, there's my meal ticket. And Jesus knows why they followed him and sought him and found him out. Jesus knows uh, why you are a professing Christian. And in this case, they had false motives. He says, it's because you had your fill of bread. Boy, we can fool people. We can even fool ourselves. And a, a, good, a good friend and a good counselor will say, what's the real motive why you did this? What's really going on? 1 Samuel 16 talks about where Jesus, or where Samuel was there, and God was going to show him who would be the next king of Israel to, to succeed Saul. And we know the story, it came to David, but 
we are told in that passage a truth that we know about God. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God does see. We can fool people all the way to judgment day. But you can't fool God. And he says, I know why you're following me. You're following me because you liked the bread. You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You just want something from me. And what you want from me is something that I can give you. But it's not even the very best thing I can give you. What's our motive for following Jesus? What's my motive? What's yours? The day is coming when it's going to be harder to follow Jesus. There was a time, uh, maybe back down in the Bible Belt where I lived, and you get to talking to people, you talk about the weather, you talk about your sports teams, and, and, and it was just a common question back in the 80s and 90s, down south at least, where do you go to church? Not do you go to church. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Uh, you have these little towns and everybody is associated with some kind of a church. Where do you go to church? Uh, that's not so common anymore. And if it ever was um, in some parts of our country. But listen, it's coming where to profess faith in Christ, to be part of a church to say, here's what the Bible says about this, and this is what we believe. Uh, if you don't go to the right church, you could be in trouble. There's that woman over in Finland, parliamentarian. Her mainline denominational church was getting ready to do something and endorse something that was the opposite of what Scripture teaches. She wrote a letter to her uh, church and she said but what about this scripture and this scripture and this scripture how can you make these decisions in light of these scriptural verses that are clear in the Bible and all of a sudden this grandma who's been elected to na national office is on trial for hate crimes these things happen and there's a coming a time uh, uh, unless the Lord changes the tide where uh, you might not even want the bread that Jesus gives because to be associated with Jesus gets you rounded up. They weren't following him to the cross, were they, in those days down the road? Some places it costs to profess faith. We pray against that where we are. We pray that God will turn the tide and send revival throughout the world. There are places uh, in this world, uh, governments, that they on the surface allow a church, but there are cameras posted there and they see who you are and facial recognition is such and you better not be enjoying that service too much and you better not be too frequent of an attender at that service because they will know who you are. And Christianity does not coincide with that brand of totalitarianism. 
And it's probably a good time now to say, what's my relationship to Jesus? Why am I following Jesus? What's going on in my walk with Christ? It might be more profitable to not be a Bible-believing Christian down the road than it is to be a Bible-believing Christian. What will you do then? Whatever's going inside of our hearts, Jesus knows. The great thing that I like about this passage is Jesus knew that their hearts at that time were not really for him because they saw the signs and they said, this man's from God and, and maybe he's our, our way to be right with God. He knew that their motives were just for that bread and that food. But what a loving God he is to say, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the best part of following me. He didn't say, get out of here. Just go. I'm going to make that food inside your stomach just uh, make you sick. Because I can do that too, you know. He didn't say that. He said, I know you're following me from the bread. But he goes into where we'll be in the next couple weeks even about him being the bread of life. So lovingly, he shares the gospel about himself. Here's old Bishop Ryle. He's, he's my best friend these days when it comes to the gospel of John. Uh, 1879, he wrote this. Let us be real, true, and sincere in our religion, whatever else we are. The sinfulness of hypocrisy is very great, but its folly is greater still. It is not hard to deceive ministers, relatives, and friends. A little decent outward profession will often go a long way, but it is impossible to deceive Christ. His eyes are as a flame of fire, Revelation 1.14. He sees us through and through. Happy are those who can say, Thou, Lord, who knows all things, know that we love thee. That's later on in John. So that's what Jesus knows about every one of us. We can fool each other, fool ourselves. Jesus knows. Best to just be honest with Jesus. He knows anyway. So then he tells them after he says, I know why you're following me, but he doesn't say get out of here. He forbids them and he forbids us to do something. He says, don't work for food that perishes us, that perishes. That's in verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes. Notice he didn't say, don't work. Work is always in the Bible presented as a good, holy thing. He's not saying don't work. Talking about things our parents said. The other thing my dad said all the time when we're out there kind of grumbling and complaining, he's making us work around the yard, work this, work that. And I can still hear his voice go, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Well, that's biblical. That's true. If you don't work, you don't eat. That, that's straight from the Bible. Jesus didn't say don't work when he said don't work for what perishes. What's he saying then? I mean, even the Garden of Eden, 
before Adam and Eve sinned and fell and plunged us into this lostness, uh, there was work in the garden. They got to do work. They got to tend the garden. They named those animals. They, they, they were there uh, doing great work. And after the fall, he didn't eliminate work. He still worked. It just wasn't as much fun anymore. Uh, sweat of your brow type stuff. But work is there. We call that, a, in theology, we call that a creation ordinance. The idea of work and laboring. It's good. Uh, we've already had where Jesus said to the people, my father is working. I see him working and I'm working until now. Uh, six days shall you labor and do your work. Seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord where you don't work, but you work those other days. Jesus describes his creation of the world as work. Uh, work is fine. Jesus said don't work for what perishes, but he didn't say don't work. The rebuke that he gave to them, which comes down to us, is when we are working, excessively paying attention to labor for the body while our soul is neglected. He's saying don't work so much for your body that your soul is neglected. Think of the parable that Jesus told where the man worked and he built barns and silos. He built things to put everything in. And, and, and what was the message? You can put all this work in there, but uh, tomorrow you die. Didn't the scripture say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die? Not tomorrow you diet, but you die. <laughs> um, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. The man worked all of his life, and he built these things up. Who's going to take his things now? Ecclesiastes gives us a warning. Uh, it talks about vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Uh, a guy works. I mean, a woman works. Husband and wife, boy, they work hard and they build up this legacy only to leave it to people who don't appreciate it and it just gets squandered. You work and we fill our houses full of stuff and we die and the kids all fight. Not for who gets the stuff, but who has to rent the dumpster and go over there and do the work and throw it all in the dumpster. That's our stuff. The aging movie starlet or star, but male actors are better off. They, they get older and they're called distinguished and they keep getting the roles and the women actors say it's not fair, but boy, they work hard. There's this one woman and Paula was telling me, some actress, uh, and, and Paula had read somewhere that she spends, I don't know how much, it was like an astronomical amount to try to make herself uh, stay as young looking in her body and in her, her health and all of the things. But you know what? I saw a picture of her the other day. Uh, you know, uh, you can't fight it. And Jesus is saying, you be careful. Don't work for that which perishes. Don't Invest in those things. He's not saying just let yourself go. But he's saying if your body and your attention to your body and your things and your bank account costs you your soul and at the expense of you paying attention to your spiritual life, then uh, you're doing wrong. There's nothing at all wrong with planning ahead financially for this earth. Nothing wrong. I wish I had listened to wisdom when I was younger, 
And they said, the guy sat me down. He showed me the tables. It's before all the computers and stuff. If you save $200 a month, and every month you save $200 and you put it in the bank and at this percentage, and here's the tables and all that stuff, and you go, yeah, but I'm young and I'll get around to that one day. There's nothing wrong with, with saying that. But I think it's possible then to every day go look. Now it's all in the computer. You can look it up. You can, you can put it into your whatever your search engine is. Okay, if I start saving 1000 a month at this age, at this time, and then 10 years, if, if it's this time, and what's the political climate? And you can spend all your time looking at all of those things. Maybe you can't, but I can. I can. What's my house going to be worth at this age? What, 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 what? You know what? I can forget my very soul. Plan ahead. Look ahead. That's biblical. Store up for the winter. That is biblical. There's so many biblical passages like that, but there's a warning also. If that's your focus, you're in trouble. Some of you have heard this before, and it's true. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. Jesus said the next thing, don't work for the things that perish, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. What's going to happen in eternal life? I mean, we know God is preparing a place for us in heaven, right? Newsflash. Those dwelling places, whether they are interpreted I like the King James uh, in this one. It's a mansion. By the time you get to the NIV, it's an apartment <laughs> or a dwelling place. Well, it's translated. I'll take my mansion, please. You can, you can read your NIV and take the apartment. Um, I want that mansion over the hilltop. Well, whatever it is, it's a dwelling place. That's, that's the Greek word for it. Can I tell you something? Each one of those places, whatever they are like where we go to live in heaven, they are furnished. They are furnished. You don't have to move your stuff up there to heaven. They're furnished and they're furnished perfectly by the master designer. Whatever we need to live in our dwelling place in heaven, it's all inclusive. Can I take my baseball cap collection? What's the TV reception like up there? Or do we have to get cable? Uh, so we can get channels or whatever it is. Uh, all of that is taken care of. And he's saying, don't, don't work for the stuff that doesn't matter. Work for eternal life. About 30 years ago, there was an album I was playing all the time. It's got, got kind of a funky groove to it. The, the, the one song on the album, the rest of the album is great too. Patsy Moore, she was a, a sister in Christ, an African-American woman, and she had, the, had a little soul when she was singing this. But she wrote a song called Lies That I Have Known. And she talked about all the lies that she knew. Uh, you, can, you can look her up and, and hear the song. Uh, she says, higher education, Ventura Boulevard, the 1970s, suburbia, the picket fence, the welfare state, manifest destiny. Pop music, pop culture, and pop psychology. Democrats, Republicans, more miles per gallon. Just a few icons I stumbled upon on the path to real life. 
lies, she says. This world is full of lies that get you distracted. Pardon any negativity. These are some of the lies I've known. Searching for the superior race. Violence is the road to change. He who dies with the most toys wins. Ken and Barbie, Sean and Madonna. That dates the song right there, Sean and Madonna. Remember them as a couple? Boys who say the right words. Follow the crowd and you'll be in. Another lie she said is, hey, sweetheart, where have you been all my life? She goes, these are just some of the lies I found on my path to real life. And she says, on my mind, and going on and wrapping up her song, she says, I see the man who lived in the things he taught being nailed to a crudely fashioned tree, looking down at a world too blind to know that the only thing worth knowing is he endured those nails for you and me. That's the only truth I've ever known, she said. And we've all stumbled in many ways and we get distracted. So easy to sell some of us some things, but everybody's got their point and their thing that's going to finally make them happy. And it's not. Jesus says, don't work for the things, the food that's going to perish here. Work for what matters for eternity. In other places, he said things like, uh, don't uh, lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and things don't break in and steal. Uh, uh, where's your investments? Where's your heart? Where's the things that matter if, if you're a Christian? Ryle listed some things. Um, and, and boy, um, listen to me and then listen to what I'm going to say. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to defend myself real quick after this and tell you I'm not talking about works salvation here. But uh, back in, in the 1870s, Ryle says this. We must read our Bibles like people digging for hidden treasure. Same way you would try to find that one stock that's going to take off. And boy, I was in on the ground floor of whatever it was, and that's made me a very wealthy man. Well, in the same way you would research and read these sites, oh, some people go to the Motley Fool site, or they go to this, or uh, I saw a headline, I think, uh, uh, yesterday, what if you have, you know, 500,000? Is it time to get out of stocks? Buy our report and let us know. I fell for something. <laughs> I, fell, I fell for one of those. It said uh, free, I thought it said free beer stein. Well, <laughs> I don't really need a beer stein, but if it's free, what is it? Maybe it's got a St. Louis Cardinal thing on it or something. Well, it wasn't a free beer stein. It was a free Ben Stein's money report. Uh, I just read it fast. And, uh, and so I, I had clicked a button, and then they were trying to get me to invest here, invest there like Ben Stein. And I went and visited Bob and Heidi, and I told them that funny story, and Heidi gave me a beer stein. So I got a beer stein from a real German beer stein out of it. So thank you, Heidi, for that. But um, you think about the things we look for and search for and want what matters. Jesus says, you want your next meal and you want me because maybe I can give you more than a next meal, but a next and a next and a next. He's saying, don't invest. Don't, to the cost of your soul, don't cost your soul while you're looking for stuff. It's all going to be gone anyway. 
And J.C. Ryle says, read your Bibles like people digging for hidden treasure. The Bible is God's gift for us to keep our perspective right. Our Bibles tell us as we read them comprehensively, not just grabbing one little word and one little thing here. Our Bibles tell us as we absorb this over the course of a lifetime and putting things together and talking to other Christians who also read their Bibles. That's where you're going to find the truth and that's your investment to make. Ryle also said, we must wrestle earnestly in prayer like people contending with the deadly enemy for life. And we'll fight for our human lives. He's saying there's a fight for our spiritual lives. And we, I don't know how to put this all in the blender of, of Reformed theology and Calvinism and everything, but man, pray for those kids and those grandkids. Pray for them. Weep for them, pray for them, pray. Those neighbors who don't know the Lord and, and maybe are even making a mockery of the Lord, pray, wrestle like you're wrestling for their lives. We all want to be the hero, right? We're walking down the street and we envision ourselves and somebody's doing something and we're going to rush in and save the family and get our picture in the paper and they're going to say, what if old Dave hadn't been by there? He saved my life. Well, wrestle for people's souls in prayer the same way you would jump in and there are lots of, there's lots of wrestling to go on. The list is long. Ryle also said, we must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a benefactor's will. <laughs> you get a letter from your lawyer. You've got a long-lost uncle, and he turns out to be, you know, the million, million, billionaire, and you're in the will, but I can't tell you what he's left for you unless you show up at the reading of the will and you're, you sit there and you listen for your name and how much is it? He's saying, get yourselves to church and listen like you would listen for the reading of a will for your benefits. He says, we must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil like those who fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. Wow. I'm not promoting works salvation. The only works salvation in the Bible is the work that Jesus did in resisting temptation and the work that he did when he went to the cross for our salvation. But boy, uh, who was that old church father that said, we're not saved by, we are, we are saved by faith alone, but not the faith that is alone. And there is a working. Jesus said, you follow me. It's not easy. Jesus said, work for the food that endures to eternal life. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's that word again. For it is God who works in you. What's Jesus saying here? Lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. What lasts forever? What lasts forever? What endures forever and ever and ever? Eternity all time. What lasts forever? Well, God, of course. 
God didn't have a beginning. He has no end. He lasts forever backwards and forwards. The created things, of the created things. What lasts forever? The beautiful things we see in nature. I just read a book. I love this book. Uh, it was a biography of the Gulf of Mexico. Biography of a region. And it talked about uh, people who lived here long before anybody from Europe sailed over. It talked about what they found as, as new people, uh, quote unquote, discovered it. It talked about the fish in the sea. It talked about all the bird life that was there until it became a fashion for women in, 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 in rich places to wear hats with uh, egret, egret uh, feathers in them and there became a market and, and, and they just went down and wholesale slaughtered all those birds so they could put them in a hat for somebody to walk down the street and somebody say, I want a hat just like that. Uh, talked about what it was like uh, with the seafood and the water and the things and I'm even, and, and, and it was really a, quite, the, quite the story. It kind of made me mad. So I, I better stop reading this or I'm going to become a, a radical environmentalist talking about these factories coming and dumping junk into the water and, 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 the, and, and how, how it was. Uh, that gulf doesn't last forever. And I said, man, I wish I was down there with Paula like we were 40 years ago and I could just go to the Joe's Seafood place and, and, and go to the beach and see this. Nature does not last forever in this earth. Uh, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Everything beautiful we have in nature is given to enjoy and preserve and take care of and love, yes. But that's not the end-all, be-all. New heaven, new earth. Uh, the, the, the final product is going to be the best. This is just a good picture of that. It doesn't last forever. All that we see in creation that is in, in heaven living forever uh, is not anything What's in heaven? What lasts forever? Well, angels do. Angels are created beings. We have record of them in heaven. Um, the word of God lasts forever. The, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And the souls of those who are Christians, uh, given new bodies, are in heaven forever eternal life. There's a place also of eternal death. Uh, we're not talking about that this morning, but that's as real as everything else in the Bible. But eternal life, what's there forever? And Jesus says, you do your work for those things. Keep that in mind. And finally, we see what Jesus promises to us as we wrap this up. What does he promise to us? Well, he said this. This is in verse 27. He said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. There's a promise. The Son of Man is going to give you those eternal life, those things. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He promises us the gift of eternal life. For those who are his, he gives that. Gives you the gift of repentance gives you the gift of faith, gives you a home on high 
gives you assurance of where you're headed after this earth is done. It's a done deal by the sound of things. Jesus, in the next couple of, of weeks, in the next few paragraphs that he said to them, we're going to see it in our, in our sermons as we go through John about Jesus being the bread of life. So we'll really expound on that coming up. But he's saying, this is, this is the thing to work for, your eternal life. And notice that last phrase in verse 27. For on him the Father has set his seal. And I had never thought of this. Never thought of this before. That I could, I could if so, I, that's so forgotten and back there and that, uh, that I didn't think of it. But I saw it compared. Jesus, God set Jesus, the seal was set on Jesus to be the one, the arbiter of this eternal life. Uh, so, uh, if, if, if you walk out of here and they say, what, what was the pastor? Uh, the answer is something about Jesus and Jesus being your salvation and my salvation, being our only hope. Uh, what I hadn't seen was the comparison to Jesus in the same way Joseph being a type of Jesus, uh, not at the persecution at the hands of his brothers, not the Potiphar's wife, but G Joseph being the one. Remember, he went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had this crazy dream. Ears of corn, devouring other ores and ears, skinny corn, fat, fat cows uh, eating, being eaten by skinny cows, and, and he couldn't answer the dream. And they pulled Joseph up out of prison, and because and, and, he was a guy down there, some Hebrew that could interpret dreams, he says, uh, What's coming is, uh, is all these years of plenty, but then a famine. And, and Pharaoh sets his seal on him. Pharaoh says, you are second only to me as the distributor of the bread. You save the bread, the people come for the bread, you are the one to dish out the bread. And somebody put a pretty good essay together about that being Jesus' role in a sense. This is a picture of Jesus where God says, yeah, due to sin in the world, due to our first parents and what's going on. There is a famine and a starvation. And don't people starve for some little thing that, that, that makes them know they're right with God? Don't they starve for forgiveness, divine forgiveness? Don't they starve for, for a sense of purpose and understanding? And God says there's this starving world and there's one way for them to get bread. And I set my seal on Jesus. You come to Jesus, who's the bread of life. That's, a, that's a, what we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks. But think about that. And I would just say to us, if you're tired of all the lies you've known, if you said, this person's going to make me happy, turns out to be a scoundrel. Oh, I remember, I was, I was uh, thinking a lot about Pensacola and thinking about early days of marriage, and I was the, the, the Frito-Lay guy, and they hated to see me coming. So I had all my days counted till I got married. And I'd make them see pictures of Paul. I'd talk about marriage. And every last one of them said, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, you're free. You're, you're making money. You're doing, don't do it. And the one person 
who said, don't listen to them, do it. <laughs> Didn't end so well for him later on. Um, but you think about uh, those days and, and the things and, the, and the, the lies and the things that are going to make you happy and the things that aren't going to make you happy and the things you think uh, are, are your final fulfillment and then you're let down and, and people promise you. Um, listen, there is one thing, one thing that matters, one thing that, that when that happens in your life, the rest you can endure, even enjoy. You can see with a different light, and that is you partaking of the bread of life, who Jesus is. You being right with God. You're not gonna otherwise. Talking to my son, and I said, man, Davey, when I was, uh, was your age, and I wasn't really living for God, I wasn't in blatant opposition, but I was in like secret opposition to God, yet I always knew that if I turned to God, repented and came to the Lord, that God would say, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And there's always that. And that's only what there is. Jesus says, don't work your life at the expense of your soul for just stinking bread. You're always going to need more bread. Work for the things that matter. Make your investment in heaven. Work for different food. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to go to the table. If you're a Christian, you're going to think, man, I've been saved. I know what's important. If you're not a Christian, I hope you're going to think, I need Jesus. Let's pray and do that. Go to this table. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this part of the true story that happened. Thank you for what we're going to learn or relearn in the weeks to come as we see Jesus as the bread of life. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross uh, uh, for, for his people's sins. Thank you that he took that on himself so that we could have the of God in him. Jesus' name, amen.